Last week, we heard from folks on Long Island who are bringing resources and information to pregnant people here in hopes of improving their birthing experiences. Now, time and time again, we've heard these stories of people not being listened to. This was the case with my cousin, Martine, whose concerns about the pain she experienced after giving birth were being ignored by the nurse that was taking care of her. It's also the story of Anne of Red Fox, who is an indigenous birth worker with the Shinnecock Nation out east on Long Island. I wanted to share this conversation I had with Anna about her experiences giving birth in a hospital and how she was not being listened to. It's a conversation about how she took that traumatic experience and used it to inform the work she does now, helping mothers give birth in the Shinnecock Nation. Would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about who you are and the, and the work you do? Yes, of course. Um, my name is Anna Red Fox. I am from the Shinnecock Nation. We are located on the eastern end of Long Island um, in New York. I am born and raised here. I've grown up um, in the community my entire life. I began my journey as a birth worker about four years ago. Um, I started my own small business four years ago as well. And um, I've just been trying my best to be a community-based worker, birth worker since then. Wonderful. And tell us about that journey. What 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 got you interested in being a a a birth worker, um, a, a a birth doula? So I actually experienced a traumatic birth um, with my firstborn. I was nineteen years old when I got pregnant. I was a sophomore in um, a college in upstate New York. So I actually moved away from my community and my family. Um, I ended up taking a medical leave from school because it was too much for me to commute back and forth um, for maternal health care. And um, I came back and I gave birth in a local hospital. I was actually a single mother before I even gave birth. Um, I had a very huge support system in my family, uh, my immediate family and my community, which really helped me get through the entire um, the entire experience, um, as difficult as it was. I gave birth in a local hospital. Um, I I'm not sure like how much detail you kind of want me to go into. Um, so I'll just give a little bit of an overview. I, I, sorry, it's still a little hard for me to talk about now. I gave birth to my son in 2020. I'm sorry, 2016. (laughs) And, um, throughout the end, throughout the ending of my pregnancy, I expressed that I wanted to have a home birth. I wanted to have a water birth. And because of the, births in my family were all cesarean. I was kind of denied that. I was more coerced into giving birth in a hospital, a local hospital. Um, They deemed that it would be safer for me. And it in fact turned out to be not. I was not heard throughout my entire labor in the hospital. Um, I was restricted to the bed for the entire duration of my labor. I was there for about, I would say, eight or nine hours. 
I did not have an epidural. I refused to get an epidural. So there was technically no reason for me to be restricted to the bed. Um, they kept telling me that they had to monitor the baby and his heart rate because it was lowering way too much. Um, towards the end of the labor, he was in more distress, as was I. And um, I remember telling the nurses, I'm feeling a lot of pressure. I feel like I have to push now. And they're like, no, it's not time. You're not dilated enough. And when they gave me another cervix check, he was crowning. His head was right there. And it was just a rush after that. Um, I ended up having a very bad tear um, and I began hemorrhaging on the table. Um, they did not have an anesthesiologist on site. So there was an even more of a panic in the room. Everything kind of turned into a blur from there. I was losing a lot of blood. Um, and I remember the doctor in the background calling the uh, anesthesiologist and saying, hey, we need somebody here on site right now. How fast can you get here? 30 minutes. And they were like, well, we don't have 30 minutes. We have to go right now. They wanted to book an OR for me and bring me down as soon as possible. Um, but because there was no one on site, they didn't have the time or the resources to do that. So they ended up um, giving me the sutures there and giving me pain medication. I was not allowed to hold my son because of the pain medication. Um, so my mom had to stand bedside with him. And I remember going in and out um, just the entire time of the procedure and afterwards. And then when it was over, all the nurses and the doctors left the room and that was it. My baby was gone. He was in the nursery. They were doing testing on him and I didn't see him until later on that evening. Um, when I was settled into my postpartum room, they were trying to push pain um, painkillers on me because my injuries were so grave. And I denied those as well. I decided to stick with the uh, Motrin, the ibuprofen. Um, my recovery process was very long, but I am very grateful for the doctor that I did have because she literally saved my life. Um, so after this experience, I had lingering feelings. I never really addressed any of the situation. I never really processed it. I didn't really think too much into it or think there was uh, anything wrong with my birth experience. Nobody really talked about them in my circle or my life. Um, so it took me about two and a half years to actually realize that this was the realm that I wanted to immerse myself in. Anna, thank, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, and my goodness, I'm so sorry for, for everything that you went through. Um, <clears throat> I've done a decent amount of reporting on maternal uh, mortality, uh, particularly with a focus on black maternal mortality. And in the episode that we are doing working on this particular issue, uh, you know, I speak with my cousin, who is a black woman who, who went through um, similar uh, case in that she also felt she was not being listened to or heard by the nurses or the um, in in that case she she had pain but they were saying no no you should you should you'll, you'll be just fine no no it doesn't look like you had um, you know uh, they said they kept calling it a flawless birth you, you you shouldn't be having pain and then they you know 
finally she was able to kind of advocate for herself, get a nurse who who was black, who, um, you know, was an advocate for her, identified with her a little more closely and was able to get that checkup. And they realized that she did have some cuts um, that needed to be addressed. Otherwise, the situation could have gotten much worse. So I definitely relate with you when you're, you're telling us a bit about those experiences of not being heard. And, 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 and tell us uh, with what you're comfortable sharing, again, about those experiences for people who don't understand that, you know, a mother about to give birth, her pain, her 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 her, her cries, her, her 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 needs, her wants could not could fall on deaf ear deaf ears. What what was that like? What what were the doctors not listening to you about? Um, my my comfort level. I just wanted to be able to get up and move in my labor. You know, I wanted to be able to sit on a ball and just walk out the the pain. I had a lot of back labor, and it was all. Um, focused on my back mostly. So to lie on my back for that long in the hospital is a, that that's a very long time to be restricted, especially if you're not, if you don't have an epidural, there's really no reason for you to be restricted to your bed. Um, so my biggest concern was the pain and not being heard and not being able to move. And I that really played a part in um, distressing me because I felt that I was more uncomfortable and in more pain because I couldn't relieve it in a different way. Wow. And and, and tell us a bit about, um, you know, your, your, your work coming to kind of recognizing that, that, that PTSD and that kind of postpartum, um, you know, distress that you, you went through after your birth and kind of, um, you know, addressing that. How did that kind of make you feel? What What were you experiencing in that kind of the months after you gave birth and such? I would say I definitely experienced um, anxiety a little bit. Um, I experienced um, some depression, postpartum depression. Um, but it was more of the anxiety. I experienced panic attacks for a while that were very, very um, extreme. I'm the first time I had one I've never had one in my life and I ended up checking myself into the emergency room because I was terrified I I thought I was having a heart attack or something that's how painful it was um so it kind of played itself out in different parts of my life in a way um but again I didn't really have that support or circle to talk about my experience where it wasn't normalized that this is how women give birth and this is what other women are experiencing or even worse so there there wasn't that conversation in my community until I started this work right and so the location wise this is by the Hamptons and such right yes we are right in the middle of the Hamptons we're actually located in Southampton Right. So what is that kind of, I guess, disparity or difference like being right there? Uh, for, for a lot of our listeners here, when they think of Long Island, they only think of the Hamptons, right? They only think of those big mansions you were mentioning, you know, celebrities live there. Or they think like, oh, that's that place that's close to New York City. So what is that like living on um, the Shinnecock Reservation right there next to all of this, you know, wealth and, and opulence of the Hamptons? It is very difficult. Um, you do receive discrimination. Um, for example, when we built the billboards on the Sunrise Highway, we 
received so much backlash for that from the community, but it's hard to go into, it's hard to leave your community that is so close knit and then go to the outside. Like you're driving on the reservation, everybody's waving to each other because we all know each other, right? But then you go off the res and it's just, uh, you don't know anyone. Um, uh, the way our reservation is set up because we're on this peninsula, you can literally see the million dollar mansions and the homes right across the water. Um, but if you were on the other side of the water where the mansions are looking at the reservation, you would see that it is a very woodland area because we try to preserve as much as we can. And now, Anna, you were talking a bit about your work, um, you know, uh, maternal health, trying to as a birth doula and also your work with like mental health um, amongst women who, who, who just gave birth and such. Uh, tell us a bit about what it is you are actually doing there and how um, and how you are, I guess, received by the community there. Like what's a typical whether it be a typical day or something about the work you're doing? So it was very hard for me to start this journey as a birth worker because like I said, these conversations were not had until I came around. And so I kind of shook things up a little bit, I think. And a lot of conversations are taboo in our community. So it has been a long time coming for people to actually um, hear me for what I'm doing or see me for what I'm doing. Um, I have attended four births to date since I've started this work, but I have given various um, different types of support, whether that be birth circles and support groups for parents. Um, I've tried to do formula drives and give backs and um, diapers, wipes. I actually am the executive director of East End Birth Network. Um, so they turned that over to us in the beginning of this year. And it's an organize a grassroots organization that's been around for quite a few years now. And they have helped the underserving um, communities that are integrated within this Hamptons scenery, wealth, and, and just everything you read about the Hamptons or you see in the movies. So unfortunately there is a lot of maternal health disparities here and maternal mental health disparities here and a lot of them come from the black communities um the indigenous community and the hispanic community um it is not talked about enough but east end birth network was created to serve these underserved communities so however they saw fit which they sponsored my my um, training and helped me get there. And then after that, they kind of mentored me throughout this whole four years that I've been doing this. So we have a stork co-op um, and it's basically a storage facility that just houses any baby gear, maternity gear that's needed, whether that's clothes for the mom, clothes for the baby, formula, um, bottles, strollers, cribs, anything that we can have uh, that's accessible to the community, we try to provide there. And it's all a free service, a year-round service. Um, so that's kind of been my focus. I'm, I am currently rebranding um, What's Maneo, and I 
feel like I have grown so much in my work that my focus is not just being this doula birth worker that's providing for one mom at a time. Um, My vision and all of the education that I've gathered over the years, I've learned that it's so much deeper than that. And so my bigger vision and my bigger goal is to build an indigenous birth center here on Long Island on our Shinnecock territory. Um, And that would include having workshops for rekindling your relationship with plant medicine and herbs or having a beautiful um, birth lodge birth like I was able to have with my second baby or to be able to provide traditional meals for parents that are helping throughout pregnancy or postpartum so the the picture has gotten so much bigger for me I'm kind of still figuring out what footing um because there's just so much around birth and I feel like people only look at birth as like okay you're pregnant you're having a baby that's it but in reality, indigenous people have had villages forever. They have taken care of each other forever. The grandmas and the moms and the aunties were the original doulas and the midwives. And so a lot of the work that I've been doing over the years is about reclaiming all of these teachings because we because we are a first contact tribe, we've lost so much of our language and culture and traditions and knowledge that we're not necessarily connected to that anymore. So when it came time for me to give birth to my second baby, I literally had to go to other indigenous nations and collect information because there was no elder here in my community that I could go ask how they gave birth to their baby or what teachings did you follow or how was your postpartum and what did, what herbs did you use to recover, right? I didn't have that here. I had to go outsource. Um, yeah. Wow. No, thank you. Thank you. And so tell us about your second birth there. It, it sounds like it was a, a, a vastly different experience. Uh, tell us a bit about that. I actually was mortified when I found out that I was pregnant again because of this PTSD that I carried for all these years, just lingering. Um, I was mortified to give birth again. And I felt like that through the duration of my pregnancy, probably until the month before I gave birth. Um, My partner was, or is, I'm not going to say was, (laughs) my partner is very supportive. Um, He is not from Shinnecock, um, but he literally has supported me throughout the entire duration of my pregnancy. Um, For both of my children, I, I wanted to be as traditional as possible, So because of this traumatic experience that I had with the first one, I was like, okay, we're going to start all the way from the very beginning and we're just going to wipe it all away and we're going to figure out how we can give birth to this baby the way that I want to. 
So the first step um, was finding an indigenous midwife, which I happened to already know one. And she was amazing. She served all five bur- boroughs of New York. Um, so I was like, OK, this is who I want. I got in contact with her. She was like, oh, my goodness, I would love to be your midwife. I asked my fellow birth worker, um, Bestie, that's what I call her. Her name's Amira Nation. Um, we do a lot of collaborations together, and she was actually my birth worker for uh, my pregnancy. And she's from Shinnecock as well. Um, and we also had a midwife. Um, I worked through a lot of trauma that kind of started slowly unraveling through my pregnancy, but because I had all of this education as a birth worker, I was kind of able to get to the root of it and be like, okay, well, how can we make you feel more comfortable or supported? Um, I did a lot of personal development. I did a lot of speaking out loud about my fears. Um, I did a lot of crying. <laughs> um, and I did a lot of advocacy for myself because I knew that this was what I wanted and I knew that it was going to be harder to actually do it so my partner and his best friend built a birth lodge here on the reservation for our daughter Um, they actually went into the woods and cut down all of the saplings and created the birth lodge for her um, which I thought was so beautiful she actually ended up coming uh, about two weeks early Um, I kind of stuck labor out I got to do it my way we had a fire there I had fire keepers Um, there were a bunch of aunties who kind of just came around to help and support Um, they put a skylight in my lodge so that I could see the stars and um, they had a fire outside they sang songs throughout the entire night and I just I literally got to do everything my way I got to birth on the ground um she was actually born in call which was also very special because we haven't had a lodge birth like this on the reservation in probably thousands of years um so to be able to have an end call baby is very special um which means she was just born in the sack with the sack still on her for anybody that doesn't know um I remember crying and just looking up to the stars and saying, I can't believe I did that. I got to delay her cord clamping so that the placenta could still pulsate blood to to her. Um, We got to burn the cord and it was just the most powerful experience ever. And I got to do everything my way and having not knowing what you're doing but everything coming together the way that it was supposed to was so powerful like I just felt this adrenaline rush and I felt so empowered like I was just floating through life after that it was it was amazing it was truly amazing um and 
I actually didn't have any complications with her. Everything went perfect, smoothly. Recovery was actually even faster um, than they had expected. And so, yeah, that was my, my second birth story. And also, I would just like to mention that both of my children have um, names in our language. Well, if you don't mind sharing, what, what are their names? Absolutely. Um, my son's name is Katshasha Lassin. It means lightning he speaks. And my daughter's name is Nokomis Nanapashat, which is Grandmother Moon. Wow. Anna, that was beautiful. That was so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I Absolutely. I am just like, I'm actually tearing here. <laughs> thank you. That, what a beautiful experience. And just thank you so much for sharing that. You know, from your, your partner and his friend making the, the, the birthing lodge to your descriptions of what that moment was like. Wow. I am in awe. Um, so just to kind of wrap up a little bit over here, uh, tell us a bit more just about kind of the, the, the services that you are providing to your community there. Um, is the birth lodge, is it still being utilized at all? Or just tell us a bit about kind of what, what it is you, you're, you've been doing for, for mothers in, in a similar situation as yourself there. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing, like I said, a lot of collaborations. So I have been trying to provide... Um, I Like I said, I'm not doing births too much anymore. I'm, that's not Yes, it is my focus. I will absolutely help anyone who is asking me to be their doula, but I feel the picture is just so much bigger now. And with that said, we created um, my birth work, Bestie and I, Amira. We started a postpartum meal train. So it is rooted in ancestral foods, um, plant medicine, teas, tinctures, um, fish broth, anything that is good and nourishing for mom and baby. Um, We've started that actually last or this past winter. Um, A free service, of course. I tried to provide as much free services for the community as I can. I recently just finished an Indigenous lactation support series. Um, I had attendees from all over the country as well as Canada, which was pretty amazing. Um... I am creating postpartum bundles for moms and babies so that they have um, something to connect them to culture and to tradition and to community. Um, I believe it's so important to return community to birth because birth is community, right? You, Everyone has a part. Um, and I think my birth is definitely an example of that. I've found it hard to be an Indigenous doula in this community because some people are more removed from culture and traditions than others. So they would rather give birth in a hospital um and you know that's totally fine that's that's their choice but i believe that everyone deserves the education in order to make informed decisions um the birth lodge is not currently being utilized so we just created it for that birth specifically and then it was taken down afterwards Um, i hope to do that for anyone else in our community who is willing to to give birth that way. Yeah. Anna, that's 
That's beautiful. No, that's really that's really beautiful. Um, I, I just have a, a couple more questions here before we kind of wrap up there. Uh, but thank you for sharing. Uh, by goodness, the work you're doing. It is. It's. I feel very like uplifted just talking to you and hearing from you and hearing about your your experiences and what you're doing for your community. Um, so if we kind of take a step back here and we look at this this issue of maternal mortality, and I know the statistics. I'm sure you're aware of them as as well, being that you know black mothers are. are are about three to four times more likely to to die during childbirth or as a result of it than white mothers. And I believe indigenous mothers are about two times as likely to die as well. Um, and then a statistic I came across that I, I didn't hear about before, but that indigenous mothers are, are three to seven times more likely to die due to suicide following pregnancy as well. Uh, Tell us a little bit about when you hear those kind of statistics, you know, having that in the back of your head and knowing that you're working to 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 to, to fight these disparities, to, to, to save lives. What, what, what does that mean to you? I think it is very powerful work, but it is not for the weak. You have to do a lot of hard work. You have to do a lot of personal development. Um, I know for myself, I am an empath. So I'm just very um, feeling everyone's energy. And so I think it's very important for myself to take a step back and decompress because it is literally the world on your, the weight of the world on your shoulders. Um, You're trying to be a change maker and it's like you against the world because there's only two birth workers in the Shinnecock community right now. Two birth workers. And when I see the statistics, it makes me intrigued because we are not represented. We are underrepresented. We do not have statistics in the CDC or any other kind of data like that that counts us along with a black maternal mental health or black maternal mortality or black morbidity um it we're not included in that conversation whatsoever we're not even um recognized so that makes me kind of feel like the statistic is probably way higher than it's portrayed because we don't have adequate health care here on and and it's not just my reservation there are tons of other reservations outside there are tons of urban indigenous people who live in new york city or wherever so i feel like a big part of the problem is underrepresentation and not having our voices heard i guess or not being seen by the the public we're we're not included we're not we're not included so what is your kind of i i guess advice for for one addressing this issue the issue of uh, maternal mortality in the indigenous community um, on both that kind of larger scale in terms of what needs to be done and then what is also your advice for mothers who might be listening to this um, 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 who might be worried or, or or might be wondering how how did they have a birth where they're where they feel they're being listened to and, and how can they be advocates for themselves or how can they give a birth have birth? 
a birthing experience where they feel empowered? I think a solution is for the people who are running the reports and the statistics and research and collecting all this information, go to the communities and ask the people, talk to the people. We do not have a place here where we can just go and be like, hey, what's the statistic for um, the breastfeeding percentages in our community? I can't go anywhere and ask that. Where, where, where can I do that? We don't, we're not... I, I don't even know the word for that, but it just go to the communities and talk to them, create a system where you can collect this kind of data. They come here and do the census, but like, what about all the other statistics? I feel like it's so important. And, and, and I feel like in a lot of terms, discrimination is a key here. When you go outside to the local hospital, you kind of feel a little uh, uncomfortable because you feel like you're being judged or discriminated against or the questions that they're asking you. It's like, hmm, I get why you're asking, but the way you're asking it is a little uh, uncomfortable. I've had a lot of experiences like that here. Um, For the moms that are nervous, I recommend getting educated. Find a doula in your area. Go to your local hospital or the hospital you want to give birth at and ask them if they have a volunteer program. Ask them if they have a resource or reference list for doulas, birth workers in the area. Um, Know your rights. You are allowed to deny things that you don't want. Um, learn, advocate for your body sovereignty. I feel that is so overlooked, um, especially in the maternal health care world. You know, there's a lot of tests and things that are being done that are done without our consent. Or it's like, OK, I'm going to do this, but you didn't ask me and I didn't say yes or no. So know your rights Um, in order to have an empowering birth experience. I would recommend surrounding yourself with an incredible birth team. It's possible. There are people out there who will listen to you and who will give you options and information and education and references, resources, tools. There is somebody out there that is going to give you everything that you need and that you're looking for in order to have the birth that you really want. Um, and don't let the doctor scare you. I I feel like a lot of people get scared um, or made to feel uncomfortable in in this situation like this. Like they're kind of just backed into a wall and this is what you have to do to have a healthy baby and a healthy outcome and a great birth. But Community and birth. That's what I'll say. Everybody plays a part. Everyone has a part. And there is just so many resources out there to actually have an empowering birth. And um, I feel like especially since COVID has been um, uh, a topic um, and something that everyone is experiencing in this country, it has 
kind of, um, in a way, shone more light on doulas and birth workers and more so the healthcare system and how it runs and 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 has been created there has been a rise in home births since covid because a lot of hospitals changed their policies to where nobody could come in with a mom while she was having a baby then only one person could come in or only two people and only one person was allowed to be the birth support and then a family member so I believe that women are um, the backbones of community, and that is how a lot of indigenous communities are centered. Um, We have matriarchs, we're a matrilineal society, and not saying that, you know, women are above everybody, but we should all be working together. Men have a part too. Anna Red Fox, thank you so much for your time, your words were and are inspirational and empowering. So thank you so much for joining us uh, on Color Code today. So appreciate your time. I appreciate all of you. And um, this just warmed my heart today. It warmed mine as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening and being part of our Color Code community. Our team here at STAT is Alyssa Ambrose, Hyacinth Empinado, Teresa Gaffney, and me, Nick St. Fleur. Anil Oza is our intern. Our theme music is by Brian Joel. Thanks to the Commonwealth Fund for supporting this podcast. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe. And if you have any thoughts for us, you can reach us at colorcodeatstatnews.com. Mm-hmm.